This is a podcast from the Digital Preservation Program at the Library of Congress. For more information, please visit digitalpreservation.gov. I'm Mike Ashenfelder from the Library of Congress. My guest today is Tricia Cruz, director of the University of California Curation Center at the California Digital Library. Tricia, thanks for talking with me today. It's nice to see you. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. And to begin with, I wanted to ask you uh, just a little bit about your background from 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 school on. Is it a library background? Uh, yeah, I went to the University of California, Berkeley. I uh, went uh, initially as an undergraduate to Berkeley, and um, I love the University of California. I, quality public education, affordable for all, all, and I hope it remains that way. Um, and so I went to library school as well at Berkeley and with the idea of um, initially uh, because I had studied Slavic languages and literature as an undergraduate along with political science I wanted to be a cataloger of Slavic languages um, monographs and, and serials and um, I did an internship in cataloging Slavic language materials and I lasted about an hour and a half it was <laughs> the most boring thing I'd ever done. In cataloging, life. cataloging. Yeah. The, well, cataloging, and also I was ca the books I was cataloging. Berkeley had an immense collection of Slavic languages and um, of Slavic uh, materials that needed cataloging in in Russian and and in Polish, and um, the materials were books from the early twenties, late teens, and it was wonderful seeing these old books, but. I realized nobody was ever going to look at them, or and so I felt like all, all of my efforts would have been for really few return, and so um, I just I felt that is this where I want to put all my energy, and um, it, it very quickly understood that you know I think there's a, a bigger world out there where I can have a bigger impact, um, and again going back to kind of the public. Um, the idea of quality public institution and um, contributing to that to that world and, and what that would mean to do that. What year was that about? Uh, that was in 1989, actually. I had just come back from living in Poland for um, uh, approximately a year and a half, and it was before the wall fell, et cetera, and so I was very interested in um, Polish culture and, and the arts and, and literature and, and um, at UC Berkeley, there was a Nobel Prize winner in um, uh, in uh, Czesław Miłosz um, in literature, who's a wonderful Polish poet um, from Vilnius, and so I became very interested in that. But uh, you know, when it came to reality of of mixing uh, my degree in library science with Slavic languages and literature, the options at that point seemed pretty limited to me. That I would be cataloging before the wall fell. Mm -hmm. Were you kind of charged up politically? You know, was oh, absolutely, just, you know, absolutely. And it was it was also at a time in Eastern Europe um, where the change when the wall fell, the change happened very quickly. And I I was from Berkeley and uh, very idealistic and had gone to Eastern Europe um, really eyes wide open and. Um, in an incredibly repressive um, regime um, under under the the communist government in Poland, um, and it was 
I had the opportunity to meet people who were very involved in the solidarity movement and also uh, pretty much everybody on the street loved Ronald Reagan. And I was at, I'm from Berkeley, that was not my political cup of tea. And so I was very surprised that, um, that there was, that they held Ronald Reagan up as the, um, as the answer to freedom. And so uh, it, it was very eye-opening, but then meeting with all the solidarity people and um, realizing what their aspirations were of, of nonviolent protest and, and educating people and um, the bravery that I saw I thought was really very interesting. And so when I came back here, I wanted to stay in touch with, with kind of those, that idea, those thoughts and ideas, but again, it was um, uh, not anything that... Uh, that was that, that attractive to me. So shortly after library school, um, my husband and I, we moved to Louisiana. He was doing his PhD in uh, wetland science, um, biogeochemistry. And so um, moving to Louisiana to study wetlands is, is mecca for, for people in the wetlands. So, um, and I thought going from Berkeley to Louisiana, it was going to be a big political change. Again, I was, you know, very um, aware of politics, both local and, and national. And uh, in moving to Louisiana, we thought, whoa, this is going to be very different. And it was very different, and people were more politically involved in Louisiana. And um, local politics or international uh, every politics? kind of politics. Um, people eat and breathe politics there, and it was great because I didn't have to apologize for talking about politics anymore. <laughs> and so, um, but th there's there's a point to this story is that um, then when we um, at LSU, uh, my boss Mitty Bolner, um, she was in government information, and she um, she drug me into being a government information librarian, and that, to me, was such a wonderful mix of, of librarianship and advocacy and um, tapping into the people's right to know, um, and it's, I think it, was, uh, it came at a perfect time for me of, of thinking about getting information out to people and helping, helping all sorts of people gain access to information about their government and the place they live in. Um, in Louisiana, there was uh, um, right near where we lived in, in Baton Rouge. There's an enormous refineries, Exxon um, refinery, all along the Mississippi River, and there are really high incidents of, of cancer and all sorts of sicknesses. And um, there's something called the Toxic Release Inventory that was a government-funded um, program that if there was any kind of toxic release in the area by a chemical plant or any sort of business, they had to alert the public to it. And so this was a, 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 a database that um, that I became, it, it was sort of launched at the time that I was in Louisiana, and the local community was very interested in this, um, and very, um, uh, community that was very poor, um, weren't very educated, et cetera, but really wanted this information. So it was a, a really, again, an ideal way to mix kind of this um, public's right to know, advocacy, um, public access, kind of uh, with librarianship and reaching out to, to a community. It was, it was really, it was great. And I think it kind of helped me bring together this idea of supporting quality public education and, um, and librarianship. So. Was that was that your first 
I guess professional exposure to databases? The yeah. first time you had to deal with databases? Yeah, it was, and I remember I still, um, what was it called, Mosaic or something like that, and I, I was, I, about a year or so ago, I was cleaning out a box and I ran across a class that I taught um, on how to use Mosaic and what it was and, and... You mean the browser? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 1994. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 1994. Yeah, yeah. And it was right at the end of the time that I was at LSU. And um, it was, you know, it was, you know, sharing everybody information about uh, this uh, this new technology. And it was very exciting. And also, I, I think at LSU, one of the things that I really appreciated there is, well, we had one terminal that was shared by everybody. Um, there, I think there was maybe 15 in our group or something like that, librarians. And um, so there was a real kind of camaraderie of sharing and helping each other, you know, with this, some of this new technology. Um, but the other thing I loved about LSU is because they didn't have the big funding infrastructure that some other institutions have that have a lot more, um, a lot more money, you could try a lot of different things. You know, if you wanted to move your furniture around, you could, rather than having to apply to somebody to come and move it for you and fill out a million forms. It was really, oh yeah, I have an idea, let's do it. And so I think there was a lot of very young people there who were really excited about their careers and their jobs and really wanting to try um, and try new things and were willing to try new things. And so there was the environment to do that and to um, work closely with faculty, young faculty who were at LSU who also were you know, very new to their profession and open to um, working with libraries and bringing librarians into their classroom and, and learning about all these new technologies that were coming our way. So it was very interesting. So how did you uh, tell me about San Diego? From, so from there, San Diego. Yeah, so uh, from uh, LSU, we moved to San Diego. My husband had a job running a uh, Pacific Estuarine Research Lab at San Diego State, and I got a job at, at UC San Diego. And um, it, it was a perfect timing for me to move to San Diego. I um, had the opportunity to work with um, a person by the name of Jim Jacobs, who ran the social sciences um, data section of the library, and I, I went to LSU as the government information librarian, and um, government information and maps, and, and that was, uh, I was under my purview. And um, so in working with Jim Jacobs, he knew a lot about technology, he knew a lot about data, um, and so it was right about this time that the government printing office came out with um, GPO access that was a waste database. And Jim and I, he said, Trisha, you know, we could um, do a front end to this that we could make available on the World Wide Web. And I said, what? Wow, that's really exciting. And so we cobbled together um, the code um, and put up our own graphics and made what we thought was a really, really nice interface um, that allowed people to get to um, all of the GPO databases in a much more 
um, user-friendly fashion. Was this just on campus? Or, or? No, we made it available to everybody and we called it GPO gate. Mm -hmm. It was a gate, a gateway to, mm -hmm. and gateway was kind of a popular term at that time, a gateway to the GPO databases. Google still redirects her if you put in GPO gate and gateway. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah oh, that's absolutely. funny. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we were the first um, university to do that and then we shared our code with a bunch of people and we showed people how to do it and we said, make your own gateway, put your own logo on your site. You too can have an interface to the GPO um, databases, you know, make it user friendly and and um, so we, we, and then we developed all kinds of documentation and user guides and all sorts of things and so it was great, you know, it was really, a, it, it taught me that if you have, you know, creating user interfaces for your community to use and exploit is really, you want to help your local community. Um, in your community of users, and we got inc just incredible feedback on that, and it, it really kind of sparked a fire under me to think about, um, again, more broadly about reaching out to the public at large and, and incorporating that with the needs of your local community and, and public information and open access to information, and, and the GPO databases were kind of the, the springboard for that, so. And uh, then after, we were at San Diego for four or five years. Um, we moved up to the Bay Area, uh, back to the Bay Area, I should say. It was great to come back home to the um, to live in Berkeley again and to work for the University of California. And working at the California Digital Library is um, it's a treat. Um, I work with some of the most incredible people and uh, really smart and supportive and uh, it's the kind of place where everybody wants to see their neighbor succeed. Um, it's a joy to go to work. And so I've really um, taken that um, philosophy of, of technology and delivering services for your, community, your own community, but for the broader community, and apply that to a lot of the work that we've, I've done at um, CDL. Um, we did a, early on I created um, something called Counting California. And um, we got funding from the California State Library, and we pulled in um, data that was produced by various um, federal agencies and state agencies, um, social science data, mostly you know, housing and uh, census material and then crime statistics and educational attainment and things like that. And um, we created, um, using the data documentation initiative, we marked up the data and um, integrated that data so people didn't say, oh, I need to go to this agency in order to find out about this, this particular thing. They would come to our site and we provided subject access um, to the data. So if they said, oh, I want to know about um, poverty levels, then they could, you know, we, they would say poverty and then they could uh, drill down to different geographical areas and then map that data. Um, it, looking back at it now, it, it was pretty crude, but at the time, it was great. Um, and it was really a, uh, a way to, um, again, bring together a lot of different data sources. And so it was, uh, and then at the same time, as we started, that's when I started dealing with a lot of um, data or publications that were created by the federal government and the state government that was available on the web. And uh, we noticed that we could not rely on material that was on the web. Um, 
by the federal agencies. We didn't. It wouldn't stay there forever. If uh, the California in California, um, the statistical abstract of California, when a new one came out, they simply removed the old one. And so we started downloading the materials and and making those available and keeping them persistently available. And so this was kind of the start for me of thinking about a growing the web and gathering um, information that's published on the web and keeping it for the lo a long time, but also preservation, how, how the need to preserve these materials, um, and also thinking about how um, the web, how it makes everybody a publisher and everybody's a consumer, and the kind of the mix of those worlds, and, and so we really, um, from there, we started to investigate developing a web archiving service um, of trying to figure out how we can capture these materials that um, are needed by the libraries. And um, you know, one of the things, particularly with government information, it wasn't being issued in paper anymore, or if it, if it was or is, it was a very small percentage of the material being issued in paper. And so we um, thought, well, you know, we need to provide libraries with the capacity to keep building their collections in a web-based world. So we um, built the Web Archiving Service um, with funding from the National Digital Information Preservation Program, NDIP. Um, thank you, NDIP. <laughs> and, and it helped us uh, build the Web Archiving Service that allows anybody to go in and say, hey, this website's important to my research, and I want to collect it. Um, and you did your you did your research beforehand oh, to see what librarians wanted, exactly what kind of interface exactly. they would need to make it easier for them. Exactly, and you so you wanted it to be a, usual, a usable tool. We wanted it to be a usable tool yeah. and, and not something that um, that somebody would need to have a computer science degree in order to use. Yeah. And so we kind of took our philosophy of of a quality public user interface open access and put that into the web archiving service and so that is um, really how we how we got to um, the web archiving service so um, and we're very excited about it it's it's we people are are really um, starting to glom onto it in in, in very um, new and unique ways um, for example there's one researcher at UC Berkeley who He's a fat on the faculty in the um, journalism school, and he is using the service to collect materials related to um, censors censorship in China. Um, oh. Yeah, and so it, very interesting. It's a lot of the material that he collects. He does not necessarily want that material exposed to the public because of the people who he collects information on would be in danger of, of uh, by the authorities. And so he's collecting it for his own particular research. And so um, that's, that's one reason, that's one way that people can use the web archiving service. Other people are collecting it and making their materials publicly available. We make it, we let it really up to them. For faculty, they don't necessarily want to release all of that information to the public. Other people do, that's the reason they're collecting it. So it's a little bit of both. So. so when you first came to, to CDL, CDL was in place, it was a few years old at that point. Yeah, 1999. Um, and so, I think that's, yeah. What, what, what did you, you know, the world's changed a lot in 10 yeah. years, so what did you bring to it and how, and, and CDL, of course, is, is mm -hmm. the, it, it serves all the, the universities in the UC system, so mm -hmm. it's not only the, the projects that you name, but you have to 
Correct. be a resource for the other, was it 10, 10 universities? It's the 10 campuses. Well, at that time it was the nine campuses, but UC Merced has come on board now. And when I first started at CDL, um, I was on special projects, and um, there was uh, um, there, John Ober was working there, Bev French, and she was the head of collections. Um, shortly thereafter, um, Robin Chandler came on board, um, the director of special collections, and then Catherine Candee, Scholarly Publishing. And we were kind of the first group um, working together and the technology side of CDL was completely separate. We were not an integrated group. They were working in kind of the data center of um, the University of California Office of the President um, under Richard Lucier. Um, after, after Richard Lucier left and Dan Greenstein came on board, um, CDL was united together, both the technologists and the program managers and directors and analysts, et cetera, to kind of what we are today. Um, I was hired um, to direct the preservation program in 2002, and that was really to um, bring together um, working with the UC campuses and the libraries in particular to preserve the materials that are important to the um, research, teaching, and learning of the university, and um, that we have developed technology and the web archiving service being part of it, but a digital preservation repository that um, supports the, the preservation um, needs of the campuses and, and the campus libraries in particular. And so we um, also publish, you know, guidelines and standards and, and things like that. Um, and so now I think we're at a point um, where we're kind of transitioning into a new realm of um, in the preservation program in that um, preservation uh, as we've, as we've learned more about our user community and what their needs are, we're kind of shifting our focus from thinking about solely about preservation, but the whole information life cycle of thinking about digital curation. Um, and as a, as a consequence, we're rebranding our program from the Digital Preservation Program to the UC Curation Center, um, UC3 is what we're calling it. And so we are... Um, Hopeful that our our uh, the work that we are doing will resonate beyond the campus libraries that will engage with the broader University of California community, the museums and the archives that are around um, the UC system, and also working with faculty. And um, I think this is really exciting for one that um, I think it's a real opportunity for CDL and the libraries to kind of leverage this new wave of of data curation and to. Um, it, it's so interesting when I go into a room and I, and I talk about um, things that people need to do to manage their data and what they need to think about. And it's things that are really um, common to us and common to librarians and thinking about selection and deselection and versions. The people have not really thought about this. So we are the experts in the room. Librarians are the experts in this um, data curation. And so I think we have this knowledge that is, is of tremendous value to um, uh, to the university. And I think it's this is going to the UC Curation Center, UC3S, working together 
um, leveraging the, the capacity of the libraries and the data centers and, and working with faculty. It's, it's a, just a winning combination. So how do you reach out to the, to the 10 campuses? you have uh, formal outreach or they come to you? Or? Um, a little bit of both. Um, we work through the libraries on the campuses, um, through the university librarians and through the collection development officers and through the digital um, librarians on the campuses. Um, we also reach out to the museums on the campuses. Um, we also just, you know, meet colleagues um, through um, various grant opportunities. We're um, right now um, we're just uh, CDL is a partner on an NSF data net initiative, which is called Data One, and um, we are um, I'm on the leadership team for that and um, kind of representing the libraries um, in uh, in. At the within the leadership team, and so on that are our UC faculty um, at uh, at from UC Santa Barbara and UC San Diego, and so again meeting with them, and then you kind of develop these a network of colleagues through through grant funded programs like that. Um, we're also working with, for example, at UC Berkeley with the Water Resource Center. Um, of helping them understand how they can collect and curate their data and so the faculty that are connected with that we listen to them understand what their needs are and build solutions and guidelines to help them so data one though is I think a really exciting initiative for the libraries um, I think it's again it kind of gets it's it's leverages all of the wonderful knowledge and, and um, that the libraries have and can bring to the table to on this broader problem of oh we're producing so much data, what are we going to do with it, how are we going to manage it, how are we going to preserve it, how are we going to make it available and usable for the next guy. Um, so very exciting. It's also, these are pretty tight economic times in California, so you must try to um, encourage partnerships and... Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it, they're very tight economic times, and the irony is that um, I think that there's a real opportunity in these economic times that we're working very closely with um, um, folks on the UC Berkeley campus is that what we've understood is nobody has the capacity to go it alone and nobody should go it alone in this economic environment. CDL can't manage and, and hold all of the data that um, is important to the University of California community. But if we work with San Diego Supercomputer Center, they have tremendous scale and capacity and knowledge. Um, we can put our heads together and say, well, can we use Chronopolis for, um, for this type of, of uh, preservation and archiving? If I work with the data center at UC Berkeley, they have tremendous capacity um, with Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Um, so again, all of, the, all of these people bringing their expertise to the table of developing solutions um, to meet the needs of their local community. I think it's a very exciting time and hopefully it will be, uh, I think it's a, the only way to go right now. I mean, you, instead of everybody reinventing a wheel on a campus, we again, we need to put our heads together and come up with solutions, common solutions that can um, be exploited by a variety of, of institutions. Is there an environmental component to, to Data One? Yeah, Data One, it's essentially, um, bringing together a variety of, of data from, um, um, from on, on the environment um, and uh, from the long-term ecological research network and, and um, from, uh, to uh, come together and, and um, that can be used across disciplines, et cetera. But it's, it's environmental, it's biological data and environmental data primarily. 
Um, so, and it's, it's again, it's a, a really exciting project. It's international? It's um, international. Um, there will be an international users group that will be launching um, that will be uh, pulling in people from all over the uh, all over the world in the international users group. Um, one of the things about um, Data One is its focus is going to be on climate change. Climate change just doesn't happen in the United States, and so we need to be able to pull the data in worldwide to help us understand the complexity of the problem. Um, whether it's it's data about the oceans, data um, terrestrial data about. Um, uh, uh, you know, just a variety of things. So, about your local community, but much more broadly. Mm -hmm. So, um, what to ask you about about Katrina? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, when someone in your position, if um, a natural disaster occurs, mm -hmm. like the, the Southern California wildfires, mm -hmm. um, in a, in a large organization, you probably have to go through a whole vetting process before you could actually start crawling and archiving. Mm -hmm. So. Just with that, does CDL, do you have anything in place to deal with natural disasters uh, quickly? You know, if something's happening now, a tsunami, will you be able to get people in place and start doing crawls, or is there a, a bigger decision-making process well, for that? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and um, when Hurricane Katrina um, hit, and I believe it was on a Thursday when we were kind of watching this storm about to hit Louisiana. Um, having lived in Louisiana, I, I, it was it was really emotional for me to think about this place that I'd had um, spent so much time in and had so many friends and, and loved so much could potentially be destroyed by um, this hurricane. It was right at this time when we were um, had the just the, some very lightweight components of our web archiving service. And so we decided, um, kind of by the seat of our pants, let's crawl this. And we need to start collecting um, the information related to the hurricane. And so um, we had, I would say, a thousand spreadsheets with um, URLs where we thought, oh, let's crawl this site and this site and this site. And um, so we just were really, you know, a team of us kind of put our heads together and then we sent out. Um, to lists saying, hey, does anybody want to help collect URLs that we want to crawl for Hurricane Katrina? Um, and by help, you mean you were using Heratrix? We were using, um, we, we had our own um, installation of the Heratrix crawler. Um, and it was at CDL? It was at CDL. Yeah, yeah. And so then also, we were, were fortunate enough to, we work with Andreas Popke at, um, in the computer science department at Stanford University, and they have they have a crawler that um, they've been using for a number of years, WebVac. And so we, um, we consult with them a lot on, on crawling. They, they help us understand how to be polite crawlers and how to be really efficient. They're, they're terrific. And so simultaneously, we asked them, hey, do you guys want to help us crawl? And they, they were, said, yes, absolutely. And so they started building their own seed lists. Um, they are. Um, they crawled a lot of the newspapers and news organizations, and all told, I think by the end we had maybe three thousand URLs um, related to the hurricane. And this crawling Hurricane Katrina really, we learned so much doing that. Um, in that, we learned that you have to, in with Hurricane Katrina in particular, that. At first, it was a really bad storm, a horrible um, natural disaster. 
And then it became a social event when, when race entered into it. Um, and so you, we had to then recalibrate the URLs that we were crawling and make sure that what we were getting. And then we had to make sure that we were getting things like the Red Cross. And, and then it was spreading to other states. People were moving from Louisiana to San Antonio. What was the reaction in San Antonio? So we, then we had to add new URLs and, and really kind of, it, it's a live phenomenon. And how do you keep that up to date and um, capturing that information? So it was daily of, of trying to track in the news what was happening and what we were seeing on the web pages and, um, and what was being crawled and what we wanted to target. Um, Craigslist was a tremendous resource uh, for us, and so we would look at Craigslist would have missing persons list, and we'd go to Mobile, Alabama, to Atlanta, Georgia, to you know Louisiana, etc. So it was really it, uh, we learned a lot about what you need to have in place to properly co collect that kind of information. Of you need to gather a lot of people really quickly. You need to gather a lot of URLs really quickly, um, and you need to constantly recalibrate um, what you're doing and, and what you're crawling. So it was it was really exciting, and um, we learned a lot from it. We learned that we don't want to do this by having thousands of spreadsheets. <laughs> it was really difficult. <laughs> so and probably not thousands of people too. Oh no, a small team. It was small a small team, team and. Um, it was, you know, the other thing that it really helped us do was to illustrate the importance of, of crawling web pages. It, it was, I think for a lot of people, it was an aha moment. They said, oh, I understand why we need to keep this information. This, this information is ephemeral. It, it changes so quickly. We need to hang on to it in order to understand um, Hurricane Katrina and what happened. So... Tell me a little bit about Hathi Trust. Am I saying that correctly? Hathi? Hathi? Hathi Trust. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Hathi Trust is a, is a really, it's a, a tremendous idea, and I think it is, um, it, it brings together the idea of, of, um, of building a, communities coming together to leverage um, local capacity for the broader good. Um, it's UC, the University of California, it's the, right now it's the digitized books um, that are part of the Google project, but also the Open Content Alliance, um, all of the books that are, were digitized as part of that, of putting, um, um, putting those in the HathiTrust infrastructure and the community um, around the HathiTrust infrastructure, building services and preserving those materials and providing access to, to those materials. It's, again, um, coming together to make an affordable solution and a sustainable environment for preservation and access. One thing I wanted to ask you just to wrap up, it's more like a wish list. You know, we, we talked about the funding in California. You guys mm -hmm. have been incredibly resourceful. You got a pretty talented team of, well, you have a pretty talented team at CDL. Yeah. Um, if you had all the funding you needed, do you, have, do you have any vision for CDL? Is there a vision that you would like, something you would like to make happen there? I, I would... Um, if you I, were un, unrestrained. Unrestrained. I would love to be able to provide the capacity for the university to manage its intellectual capital and to uh, manage the full life cycle of information that's produced by the university and be able to publish um, within the university. The university has publisher. Um, data as publication, so really providing the tools for the researchers, for the faculty, and for the libraries to be able to 
to manage um, the materials that are important to, to the institution. And I think we're getting there. I think um, slowly, again, coming together, um, building common solutions that can extend to that broader community. Um, hopefully we can do that of, of providing an infrastructure that will help everybody manage their data and keep control of their data. Thanks. Thanks for talking. You're welcome. This has been a podcast from the Digital Preservation Program at the Library of Congress. For more information about digital preservation, please visit digitalpreservation.gov.